Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us on how God didn't allow Eve to be trampled on and how the Bible lifts up and honors women. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from yesterday's message. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Revelation 1.5 tells us, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. They were so amazed at these coats because it was so effective. He couldn't get enough of her. He couldn't get enough of Eve. He couldn't get close enough to her. He couldn't be with her enough. And he says, you know, she called Isha. You know, he might as well have said, my woman. That's my woman. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday Genesis teaching series. And so in Genesis 3.12, the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And boy, those are some words. Adam said, we want to say to Adam, Adam, you'll be sleeping on the couch tonight. (laughs) It just deteriorated real fast for Adam. It's now she gave me of the tree and I did eat. As if in, I never would have done it if she wasn't in the picture. That's what he's implying there. Now we color Adam pushing Eve away from him. Right? A little bit different from the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh picture now. He says, the woman who now gave us me, okay. She says, you gave us. He says, you take her back. So he's pushing her back to God. You take her back. So now, you know, you can you say, I don't want your gift. Take your gift back. And because with gifts like these, who needs burdens? And uh, in fact, we can see Adam lifting up his aprons of fig leaves and pointing to his rib and say, put her back in there. She didn't cause trouble when she was there. So, you know, that's the story. All right, now, so what does this picture teach us? This picture teaches us that with the fall, with sin, comes the deterioration of marriage, the marriage relationship. Wives and husbands, because of the fall, they do things that are destructive to their own marriages. They say words that destroy the marriage. We think thoughts that destroy the marriage. We do acts that destroy the marriage. But this also teaches us, as we go on, that God wants the marriage to stay together. There's a broken marriage, by the way, when Adam is talking that way and pushing her away. But we see God moving in to restore the marriage. He wants this couple to stay together. And if they're willing, then God's going to bring them back together. But that's another point. You know, just as they had to be willing to let the fig leaves come off and let God's coat come on, they got to be willing now to go to God, the great marriage counselor, and bring them back together. Because we have to understand, you know, just like it was with the fig leaves, you know, Adam and Eve could have said, no, no, thank you. I like my aprons just fine, thank you. You can keep your own coat. They could have taken that attitude. They could also take the, Adam could take the attitude, you know, my pride's been pretty hurt. I think I'd just like to go over here and lick my wounds if you don't mind. And uh, Eve could have said, well, what he said against me, there's no marriage going to be happening around this place. You know, I could have taken that attitude very easily, very easily. I can hear the words of my mind, you know. Like I said, when I was growing up, my father was married five times, and then he had five common marriages in between. He had ten marriages, so I saw a lot. And uh, 
And so I can hear it, I can hear it, you know. I, anyway, the only thing that's missing here is an iron that one would throw at the other. But all right. So uh, God said, okay, you put all that away now. Because now, inasmuch as I fixed your sin problem, I will now fix your marriage problem. Just work with me. So to Adam, he said, look, to the woman... Say, your problem was you wanted to be independent from Adam, and that started a lot of problems. So your desire is going to be to your husband, he says. He's going to rule over you. He'll be the head of the home. That'll be better for you, Eve. And then Adam, he said, look, because you pushed her off from you, that's your problem. You pushed her off from here, and now we're going to make it so that you won't have the Redeemer that those codes speak of. You won't have the promised Messiah that was promised here unless you stay with her. Unless you stay with her. In other words, God was saying to Adam that he was going to make it so that Adam needed Eve. He needed Eve. And he needed to have Eve in order to be complete or have this very, very essential, vital, uh, what he needed. So Adam heard God explain that there was going to be this war between Satan and man that would be unending. But once Adam heard about the seed of the woman, that was something. He didn't need to hear anything else because Adam knew, look, before my marriage, anything else, I need a rescuer. I need a savior from my sin. And that's going to come from the seed of the woman. So he didn't hear the seed of the man. He heard the seed of the woman. And then he heard God say there was going to be two wounds, two wounds here. First, the serpent was going to be wounded by the heel of the redeemer from the woman. See, that was Pilate when he put that nail through the crucifixion, through his soldiers, through the heel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was wounding the um, seed of the woman. And, but, because the snake's position, all the snake can do, because of his position, is to strike up at the heel, see, which he did on the cross. But because of the man's position, because he stands over the snake, he has the ability to, bam! See, he can do that. He can do that. So because of the position, the advantageous position of the Lord Jesus Christ, he had the ability that even though it was going to mean his death, which it did on the cross with the wounding of him, he nevertheless had, because of his position, the ability to stomp his foot down on the head of the serpent, which he did at the cross. Well, Adam heard God say, her seed. And that was a redirection of Adam back to Eve. Maybe he would have argued with God and said, excuse me, I heard you just say her seed. Don't you mean his seed? You know, I'm supposed to rule over her. Shouldn't it be his seed? I mean, you know, she's the one who brought all the trouble, and uh, I just followed. So her seed, because God was saying, it's better, it's better, it's better. Trust me on this one, Adam. It's better, it's a whole lot better for your marriage, her seed. So Adam brought himself back to Eve, because she was going to bring life. And he was dead, and he needed life. And because that's what happens. So in the same way, we as believers, we gather around the Lord Jesus Christ. In a sense, he's the center of humanity, or he's the center of sane humanity, that knows they need life because we gather around him and he gives us life. And so Adam gathers around, and that was a decision point for Adam because he could have said, no, 
Uh, no, she, I'm not going to love her. No, I won't do it. But there is an indication in this chapter that Adam made a turnaround. And you know what it is? Verse 20. Eve gets the privilege of being named three times by Adam. <laughs> First one's good, second one's bad, third one's good. So the, the, that's a renaming, see, in verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. He understood that the life giver, the life restorer, was going to come from her, called her seed. And so he calls, he gives her this honor, this great honor. Again, he could have said, women who need some, I don't need them. They're just not necessary. But God made it clear to Adam, without her, your Redeemer doesn't come. So today, when everything is against marriage, everything is against marriage, this passage reminds us that God is for marriage. And God works toward restoration of broken marriage. I mean, you could hear the glass shatter in this chapter here of their marriage. You know, it was just like, oh, no. You know, this is terrible. But God did what he said in Deuteronomy 23, 5, when he was dealing with Balaam. He says, God turned the curse into a blessing. Because the Lord thy God loved thee, he told Israel. This is what he's doing here too. Now, in Genesis 3.11, God says, Hast thou eaten of the tree, wherever I command thee, thou shalt not eat it. Notice how God is working with Adam. And he's asking him a question, and we said before this, when God is asking him a question, it's not because God doesn't know. He knows already. But in the question, he's leading Adam. He's coaching Adam. He's putting the words in Adam's mouth so Adam gets to repentance. And notice in Genesis 3.13, when he says to the woman, what is this that you've done? What is this that thou hast done? He's, again, he's leading Eve to repentance. He's coaching her. He's putting the words of confession in her mouth. And that's how he's leading her by a question. And he's leading Adam by a question. But when he comes to the serpent, what did God not do? He didn't ask questions. He didn't have any questions. It was clear. He knew everything from the start. Anyway, no questions were asked there because he was not leading the serpent to repentance. And he has no interest in leading the devil to repentance. And he doesn't ask him any questions. He already knows what he did. So the consequence for the serpent was that he should, from this point on, and we don't know how he walked before, but from this point on, he should move in a very devious way, like a snake, back and forth. He can't go forward without squirming this way and squirming that way. So he should be associated with deviousness, all right, deception. And furthermore, it says that he should eat dust. Dust is always associated with death. You know, dust thou art, dust shall go. Dust is always associated with death. The Lord Jesus Christ said in Psalm twenty-two, fifteen, Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. The serpent should be associated with death. Now, the consequence for Eve is pain during childbirth. Why? So when she brings forth the baby, she's going to be painful. Eve, that's your fruit. That's your fruit. That's the baby. And because you took the fruit, and you shouldn't do that, and I'm leading you into repentance, so I'm making this that every time you have a baby, it's going to be painful for you, so that would be a good reminder for you that you went the wrong way by being independent from your husband and going after fruit that God told you not to. So that's going to be a safety for you. And furthermore, because it's going to make your husband so he rules over you or the head of your home, so that's going to also going to be a safety for you. The point is this. These things that God told to Eve 
are not judgments. They're corrections. And there's a whole lot of difference between a correcting punishment and a cursed judgment. Why did he do this? Because he loves Eve. And he's setting it that way. The consequences for Adam, it's frustration. It's frustration with farming. It's frustration with with the weeds, the stinging nettles. literally what it says. And the hard work and the sweat of thy brow. It says actually sweat of your nose because when you bend over, the sweat drops off your nose. It's very irritating. Anyway, so sweat of thy brow. To keep Adam looking to God and to keep him from doing what he did with Eve, getting convinced and looking to the earth for his satisfaction and looking to the earth for his ultimate enjoyment in life, God said, I'm going to make it frustrating for you on earth, for what you get from the earth. That's going to be a safety for you, Adam, because that's going to keep your heart, like with Eve, in the direction of allegiance to God. See, that's the issue. That's why they took the fruit. Allegiance to God, see? So that was what God did there. And again, correcting punishments to lead Adam to repentance and to keep him on the right track. Okay, but by contrast to those consequences for Eve and Adam, there was nothing good you could say about the consequences for the serpent. As a matter of fact, what one word is used by God when he judges the serpent that he didn't use for Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.14? What's the one word? Genesis 3.14 has one word in it that God said to... Cursed, yeah. Thou art cursed. Thou art cursed. See, he didn't say to Adam, thou art cursed. He said the ground's cursed. But thou art cursed, see? And that's a difference between correcting punishments and judgments. When we're like Adam and Eve and we sin against God, we experience correcting punishments. And we need to remember that the correcting punishments come because God loves us. That's what Solomon meant in Proverbs 3.12 when he said, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, as even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. But, and all men God is correcting, and all men that are alive, God is punishing and seeking to bring them back. Because it says in Hebrews 9.27, It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. See, there's no hope after that. Tom, today you spoke about how God protected Eve from being trampled on. He took care of her. He cared about her. Now, I have heard it said that the Bible puts women down, but how is that not true? Nothing could be farther from the truth. It's God who stepped in and gave to Eve the promise. This is the promise in Genesis 3.15. This is the first pro- the first mention, which is so important in the Bible, of God coming. And he said in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise her head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Here we see God could have chosen to speak this of man, but he didn't. He spoke it of the woman's seed. And it was the woman's seed because we know very well that when God came, there was that Joseph, the husband of Mary, was the stepfather of the Lord Jesus Christ, because she was the one that was bearing the seed of man. And that's why it's called her seed, and that's the great Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. God himself came as the seed of the woman. 
And God didn't have to do that, but he chose to do that. And that was a great honor to woman that he had created. And as we think through the Bible of all the many, many different women that were used of God, even sent by God, even spoke on behalf of God, we stand back and we say, oh, God has greatly honored women. You know, we think of Miriam, the sister of Moses. It's very interesting. We know so much about Miriam from the book of Exodus and how she took up the timbrel and led the whole congregation of the people of Israel to sing to the Lord after they were standing there on the side of the Red Sea watching the bodies, the corpses of the Egyptian soldiers wash up as the water laps the shore and so brings up another body of the Egyptians and they're standing there in shock. It's Miriam who picked up the timbrel the timbrel and and led all of the people of Israel to sing praises to God she was a great woman and it speaks about her in Micah 6:4 when God says for I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of servants and then notice what he says and I sent before thee Moses Aaron, and surprise of surprises, and Miriam. That's what he said. God said, I sent before them Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. That She is on the same level as Moses and Aaron. She's Miriam, the sister. God greatly honored Miriam, the woman, when he said that he sent her, and and that was a great honor. And so Israel, the people of God, would look at that and take notice. God honors women. And then it was the woman, a harlot woman, a prostitute woman named Rahab. Rahab, who out of great danger to herself, danger of being killed, but she risked her life. And she watched the destruction and caused the destruction, so to speak, of her own city because she was brave and wanted to stand up, stand up for God. She stood up, she stood up, stood up for Jesus. And she did that when she hung, when she protected the spies that Joshua had sent in. And and so she is so honored that she is in God's Hall of Fame of Hebrews 11. That's the Faith Hall of Fame. And and there's a verse dedicated to her where it says in Hebrews 11.31, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. That was a great honor that God had bestowed upon this woman, and she was in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was used of God to carry on that seed that eventually, through Mary, would be the seed of the woman that would bring forth the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. That was Rahab. Rahab the woman, Rahab the harlot. And then we think of Deborah. Oh, Deborah, what a brave woman she was. So mighty a woman she was. It says in Judges 4.4, it says, And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipitoth, 
She judged Israel at that time. Israel went to Deborah, the prophetess that God raised up, and she guided the people of God. She was greatly used. She was not afraid to go out and to defeat Sisera. And isn't it interesting that when Sisera was running for his life, that she turned, he turned in to the tent of a woman, Jael, and who in great danger to her soul, said, don't worry. She covered him. She fed him with milk. And then when he slept on her lap, on her knees, rather, slept on her knees, she took a tense nail and a hammer, and she drove that through the temples of Sisera and pinned his head to the ground. Such bravery on the part of a woman, jail. And then we read of Ruth, 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 whose words we repeat at many, many marriages, and we realize what a woman she was to guide us within our, with her words in our own dedication, not only to husband and wife, wife to husband, but also in what we say to the Lord Jesus Christ as she said it to her, her mother-in-law, and she said, in Ruth 1.16, entreat me not to leave thee or return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people and thy God, my God. Spoken by a Moabitess woman, Ruth. And then Esther, Oh, Esther, she stands, oh, in a class of her own. What she did, how she risked her life, how she was willing, like Moses, to refuse to be called as he was, the son of Pharaoh, but chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. And Esther, in in, in essence, said, look, if I perish by what I'm going to do, I will save the people of God. I will risk my life. And she said those great words in Esther 4.16 when she told her, her, her cousin, Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me, neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. And she did. And she trusted God, and she was all alone in the pe- in the palace. And she went, which was not according to the law, into the court into the courtyard there, the the before the king. And she knew that to be to appear within the courtyard without being called, she would be put to death unless the king held out his royal scepter, which he did to her. What a woman she is. Single-handed, this woman saved all the Jews from being destroyed in the last month of the year, in the month of Adar, both all of the Jews would have been destroyed, young and old, women and children, all of them, except for the bravery of this woman who did not have to do it. She did not have to do it. She's like the Lord Jesus Christ. He was in the safety of the palace of heaven like Esther was in the safety of the palace of Shushan. And the Lord Jesus Christ 
not only risked his life, he gave his life for us that we should be saved. And this woman, Esther, risked it all her life. And she knew she was risking it because she said, if I perish, I perish. And she did it. And we have a holiday today, Purim, to celebrate the bravest, the bravery of this woman. And Mary, Miriam, what can we say? Except what the angel said to her in Luke one twenty eight. The angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when we read the Magnificat in Luke 2, we see what a humble spirit she was. How she was one of those who trusted that God would help Israel. And how he did as he brought from her God in the flesh who came and tabernacled among us in the flesh through Mary. And what could we say more? We could talk about Sarah and Rebecca and Hannah, but as it says in Hebrews, the time would not suffice us. But when you put all these together, we can just come to the one conclusion, and that is it: this. God highly honors women, and so should we. Thank you for joining us today. Now, do you have a Jewish friend or even have a lost one or loved one that needs to be reached with the gospel? We can help you to do that. Call us today at 1-800-247-3051, and we can get a Tom Cantor testimony DVD and booklet into their hands. Millions and millions of copies of his testimony DVD and booklet have been distributed around the world. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051, and get the gospel into someone's hands using a Tom Cantor testimony DVD or booklet. You can also call us at 1-800-247-3051 to get a copy of Tom Cantor's Life of Joseph book that we've been talking about this week. Thanks for listening today and go to friendshipwithgod.org for more details.